And today's sermon is entitled, Batman versus Superman. All right, there's more to the title, Division in the Church. That's really what we're talking about. And I thought this video was a great example. How many of y'all have seen the movie, by the way? Just the hardcore DC comic fans. I've seen it, and I thought it was pretty good. Honestly, I thought it was pretty good. But you know, the idea behind it is Batman and Superman are fighting each other, and they're fighting each other so hard, they almost destroy each other right when they needed to join forces to defeat evil. But luckily in the... I'm not supposed to give this away, am I? Okay, I'll just stop. I, I... Almost did. I almost did a major spoiler. So, um, Batman versus. I, okay, never mind. I, I really want to tell you how it ends, but I'm not going to do it. Okay, so we're going to look at the passage today in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses ten through eighteen. I'm just going to read it to you. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth, and remember, the church at Corinth is a bad church. I mean, it is a bad, bad church. So it'd be like one of the churches you'd see in Bradenton. It's a really bad. <laughs> bad church so, around university area. Just kidding. I'm just, it's just a joke, people. I'm just kidding. All right, back to scripture. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to be my Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, another name for Peter. Or some of you say, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanas, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God." And so like what we like to do in the, uh, in the garden, I feel like what we have to do to really understand a passage, we have to look at all three applications. The first one is the historical application of a passage. What about man? What did he do? And why and how did he do it? Then we look at after that, we look at the theological. What about God? What does he do? Or what did he do? And why and how did he do it? And then and only then after we understand the history and the theology, can we really understand the devotional application? What about me? What am I supposed to do? And why and how do I do it? So let's look at the history of this, okay? This was a mess of a church, guys. Corinth was a mess of a church. In the first part of the chapter, Paul sounds much different than how he greeted the Thessalonians that we talked about last week and and the Philippians. In those chapters, he says, listen, I thank God every time I think about you, I pray for you. The, The story of your faith is going out into the community and everybody hears about how you're walking with Jesus. He doesn't do any of that with the Corinthian church. There's really not much to thank them for, except for the fact that you have to thank God that he saved them. But other than that, they're a mess. And Paul doesn't start with, I'm so worn by how you're doing. He starts off with, you guys are whacked out. And so the first thing I want you to look at what's going on in the Corinthian church, there was gross immorality. In 1 Corinthians 5.1, let me read you what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, 
and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. I'm not going to read the last part just in case there's some people young in here, but it's really bad. You know what else is going on in this church? It's a mess of a church. They're fighting each other in court. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. I can read this one. This is PG-13. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before, before the unrighteous instead of going to saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases amongst yourselves? So there's immorality. There's, there's, they're suing each other in Roman court. You know what else is going on in the Corinthian church? There is rampant abuse of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, let me explain to you. You got this tongues thing all wrong. You got this gifts of the Spirit thing all wrong. You guys don't know what you're doing, why or how you're doing it. As a matter of fact, it may not even be of the Spirit. And it was rampant abuse of this. That's not all. You know what else was going on in this church? There was obsession with man's wisdom. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he says this. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the power and of the Spirit, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. What was happening in this town in Corinth is philosophers were like rock stars. They were people that everyone looked to, and they would have these followings. They would go, and they'd have these these. For a lack of a better term, they'd have these philosophy concerts where they would come together and they would start to spew their wisdom and people would come around and pay money to hear them. And so what began to happen is the church in Corinth, trying to blend into their culture for whatever reason, began to fall in love with philosophy. And they kept trying to mesh different types of philosophical uh, backgrounds, either whether it be uh, humanistic or atheistic or, or other religious philosophies. They tried to mesh them into the gospel that they were preaching, and it became an absolute corrupted theological disaster. And they were in love with the wisdom of men. And Paul says the gospel isn't about the wisdom of men. As a matter of fact, the scripture says the simple things confound the wise and save the foolish. But the first thing that he mentions, that he, that he addresses, that he deals with in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is actually none of these things which are really bad. The thing that he's, he feels like, that Paul feels like he has to address first is disunity around hero worship. Of all these things, he goes to disunity first, and it's pretty amazing. And it's divided into four groups. Some were team Paul. They were the anti-temple group. Well, you can't believe in Judaism anymore. You have to believe in Jesus and the gospel. Paul's the man. He started this church. And some were team Apollos. They were the young hipster group, if you will. Because Paul had sent Apollos, who was much younger, to take over for him after 18 months. After he planted the church and left. And Apollos was there. And some people said, oh, we don't like Paul. Apollos is more hip. He's really cool. He dresses better. He talks better. He listens to rap music. He's the man. I'm team Apollos. Come on, the rap music thing was funny. No, look, give me a break. You people. I'm very disappointed. I worked on that one all week and not a laugh. I'll get at you later, don't worry. All right. Some were Team Peter 
This was the traditional worship group. They liked the temple-style worship. They liked the synagogue. They liked that. They were Team Peter, the traditional worship group. And then some were the self They were Team Jesus. These are the self-righteous group. Well, you guys can like Paul if you want. You guys can like Apollos. You guys can like Peter, but we're Team Jesus. Jesus is my co-pilot would be their bumper sticker on their chariot. This is the type of groups, thank you, that wasn't even funny and you laughed, that's good. <laughs> you felt guilty, I know, I appreciate that. So. But in a city that venerated eloquent philosophers, in a city that was struggling with immorality, this church is falling in love with arrogance and fleshly narcissism. They were picking sides, picking teams, and it was causing lots of strife and division and arrogant judgment of one another. So that's the history of the the Corinthian church. Not so good. Now let's look at the theological application of this passage. I want you to understand something. There is difference between opinion and division. And Paul warns against nitpicky differences that cause fights. And disunity. As a matter of fact, James addresses this as well. But this does not mean that Paul did not think doctrinal purity was very important. Paul definitely wanted obedience to truth, not just unity. Paul did not want unity to be at the sacrifice of the core elements of Christianity. And he, he, Paul calls for fundamental doctrinal purity many times in his letters. The key for us is to know the difference between opinion and division. Philippians 3.16, he says, Nevertheless, as to which we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of one mind of the same thing. He talks about that in Philippians. He talks about it in Thessalonians. He talks about it in Romans where he says, do not compromise the gospel. Because if you do that, you're not a church anymore. Paul took strong stands on this, guys, on fundamental doctrinal purity. It's important, so I want to make sure that I'm not misunderstood here, okay? We should never forsake the basics. That's not Paul's message to the Corinthians, ever. The standard that he held to was the apostolic message that Jesus gave his disciples. He's talking about fundamentals of the faith that we can never compromise on, apostolic doctrine. And so I'm going to go through to make sure that you understand. These are things that there is no room for debate. Number one, the Seminole superior to the Gators. There is no room. I'm just, I'm just kidding. That's not really one of them. Take that off there. Scratch it off. So. The first one is the Trinity. Monotheism. One true God in the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. And mixed into the Trinity is the personhood, the humanity of Jesus Christ, and the virgin birth. So that's the first doctrine that there can never be any compromise on is the Trinity. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the personhood, the humanity of Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. The second thing that we cannot compromise on is the depravity of man. 
Man is not capable of saving himself. Man is not smart enough. Man is not disciplined enough. Man is not resolute enough. Man always falls short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guess who said that? Paul. The depravity of man is a core belief. Because if man is not depraved, then he doesn't need Jesus. Another core is salvation by grace. And this is the gospel message we're talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4, Paul makes sure that just in case the Corinthians had forgotten, he spells it out. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you should be standing, by which you are being saved currently. And I love that, that he uses that tense, you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of primary importance what I also received. And this is it. This is what I received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So that's another, any time that salvation is taught in other ways, we cannot compromise on that message. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. There is no other path to God. It is Christ. Look, it's either that or Jesus was a big liar and we can't trust him anyway. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then there's another one, the authority of Scripture. Believing the Bible is essential, church. If you know the truth, error becomes quite obvious. There are only these areas where a case can be made for drawing lines between us. These areas alone are reasons enough for division. For once a church rejects these fundamentals, it's not a church anymore. It's Corinth. It's Thunderdome. It's a theological madhouse. I love a quote from Thomas Aquinas, one of the early church fathers. Hold firmly that our faith is identical with that of the ancients. Deny this and you dissolve the unity of the church. In reality, for a church to have unity, it must start with those fundamentals that I just lined up for you. If you don't have those fundamentals, you will not have unity. Why? Because what is the core power of our unity? It is Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the gospel. That's what brings us together. So now let's look at the devotional part of this passage and what we're supposed to do with it. Causing conflict over superfluous opinions, policies, or personal preference is division. And this is what Paul is tearing apart in chapter 1. So what are some of the things that might cause division among us today? Not necessarily just Church of the Palms, but in general. What can cause it? I have some examples of things that I've experienced in ministry. First of all, it is the worship of people. 
You know, you've got a lot of TV preachers out there. You've got a lot of great writing preachers out there. You've got John Piper. You've got Mark Driscoll. You've got people like Rob Bell, who's at total opposite ends of the spectrum with those guys. Then you have Billy Graham, and then you have the ones who do the healing, and then you have all the... And what happens is people, Joel Olstein, you know, and, and if you criticize any of these men, people get angry, dog. They do. It's wild. They get angry. And we worship people sometimes so much that it causes division. What? You don't like Billy Graham? Are you even saved? <laughs> Billy's just fine, by the way. Okay, I'm not ripping on Billy Graham. You know another one that it's causing? I've experienced this. Denominational preferences or governmental issues within a denomination. Look, I'm just going to address an elephant in the room that some of you may not even be aware of. In the 70s, there was a big split in the Presbyterian church between the PCUSA and the PCA over things like how you handle women in ministry and some other things, and they split apart, and it, to this day, is nasty. One side hates the other. The other side judges the other. It's bad. I've been in both sides. I've been in a PCUSA church now, and I've been in a PCA church where I was on staff, and it is bad. Both sides can't stand each other. As a matter of fact, both sides would say, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but both sides would say this. Like if you're a PCA pastor, a PCUSA church won't let you do communion or preach. If you're a PCUSA pastor, the same is true for the PCA side. You can't come in. There's no interaction. I'm not saying always, but as a rule, that's kind of what happens. And there's just, there's, do you think Christ was pleased when that happened? When I talked about governmental preferences, there are some places in some churches in America where there is this thing called the book of church order where that is given more authority than scripture. And people hold to the book of church order more important than they hold to the epistles of Paul. And that is an area that causes great division and frustration, and it ought not be that way. Music. Do you think your worship preference is superior to any way? Or your favorite liturgy, is that better? These are things that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 1, and the list is long, there's others, but those are just some highlights that I gave you. But I can tell you this, if your passion for any of these things makes you so angry that you can't worship or love, you know what happens? It makes you fall out of love with the gospel. And those it has saved. And if that's the case, you should either leave, I mean it, leave, or confess your idolatry and repent. Because if you want, if you love any of these things more than you love your brother who has been saved by the gospel, the same gospel, and it doesn't violate any of those important tenets, but if you are angry about any of these other things, you should either leave the church or repent and confess your sin. Those are the only two choices. And so, I'm going to end today with a story about a great preacher. Martin Ralph DeHaan. How many of you have ever heard of him by any chance? Just a couple of you. Good. I know you have because you've given me some of his stuff before to read. That's good. He started as a very successful doctor. He had a huge practice. He was making a ton of money. He was also a raving alcoholic. And he loved medicine, 
but it was slowly killing him. Matter of fact, he almost died from his practice. And while he was on his deathbed, he prayed, God, if you spare me, I will leave the medical field and go into ministry. I will give my life to you. Well, he lived. And when he got better, he never drank again. And that same year that he got better, at age 30, he sold his practice and he went to seminary. And after he graduated from seminary, he got a job pastoring Calvary Reformed Church. And he was definitely reformed. He believed in the doctrines of grace, kind of how we've taught here in the garden at Church of the Ponds. He believed that God was sovereign and he believed in reformed theology, which is good. But he also believed in premillennialism. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a view of when Jesus comes back and whether the rapture is. And he believed in that. He was passionate about that. He also refused to baptize infants in his church. No infant baptism, only believer's baptism is what it's called. And this caused, these doctrinal differences caused a massive division in his church, which resulted in a huge church split. So he left Calvary Reformed Church and started Calvary Undenominational Church. And it grew to thousands. And that's going well, and he's having a good time there, and the ministry's growing. And, and then several years later, the board of directors of Calvary Undenominational Church voted unanimously to fire the music director slash youth director in um, Martin's church. And Dr. DeHaan was very upset about this because he was loyal to this person. So he got permission from the con- He went straight to the congregation and said, give me permission to fire the board of directors and hire back my youth director. See, I wish that had been my pastor. You know, that would be awesome. That would be great to watch, you know. I might not have been fired all those times if I had been working for Martin Ralph DeHaan. That would have been awesome. Maybe not, but fun for a little bit anyway. So... They all did. The, the congregation said, fine, you can fire your board and you can hire back your youth pastor. But the board of directors doesn't take that lying down. They go to court and they file an injunction against him, keeping him from being able to do this. So now this church is being torn apart over this issue. This is the second time this good man of God is right in the middle of a significant divisive controversy. He got so sick from the stress of this, just like, just like the medical practice he had almost killed him, this almost killed him. And instead of fighting it in court and fighting the board of directors, he just resigned because he needed to get better. So he finally got better. And once he got better, he said, I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. And he started something called the radio Bible class. And it became huge, and every day he'd be on the radio. It's kind of like a blog back in the day before they had the internet. He'd be on the radio teaching the Bible every day. And then he also founded something that some of you might be familiar with, the Daily Bread devotional book. How many of you have ever seen or heard those? This is this guy. He started writing these and sending them out to people so they could hear his radio show, and then they could have study of the Bible on their own. It's still around. It's amazing. After the radio Bible class dedicated a new building in 1958, Dahan told us, this is after he died, the associate told this story. 
He's looking at this building they just dedicated. It's like 30 minutes after it. He's standing outside, and they come up, and what's going on? He goes, this is scaring me more than ever. I never envisioned this. I don't even know why God even picked me. And I share all that to share this. I found a quote by Martin Ralph DeHaan on church unity. Remember all he's been through, right? The timeline. This is what he says near the end of his life. I love this. I I love this. God cares nothing about our man-made divisions and groups. He's not interested in our self-righteousness, in our hair-splitting, and religious man-made formulas and organizations. He wants you to recognize the unity of the body of Christ. Isn't that awesome? This is coming from a guy who basically was in the middle of two huge church splits. And he recognized God didn't care about those things. All he wanted was the unity in the body of Christ. So my encouragement to you today is to think about the things that you get mad at, that you get angry about, the things that you're frustrated with, If you cannot make a clear case that it's one of these main core theological principles that I laid out for you earlier, then leave or confess. Leave or confess. Because you are the church at Corinth in chapter 1 if you allow these petty little things to destroy what Christ paid such a huge price to provide, which is unity through the blood he shed.